A barrage of bullets in White Rock. Four men sent to hospital and growing concerns for public safety. Those type of sounds and violence should never be on our streets. Vulnerable and victimized by a thief. I was shocked. His incredible backstory, the robbery that terrified him, and how good Samaritans came to his rescue. Plus, big spending in the B.C. budget. Happy to see that government has decided to continue to invest in the services that people need most. It's too little, too late. A record deficit and what taxpayers are getting for the money. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We start tonight with new dramatic video of a wild shootout. And first, a warning it will be disturbing to some people. The gunfire lit up a White Rock neighborhood last night, sending four men to hospital. Angela Jung has the latest. Watch closely as this car backing up is ambushed. <laughs> blatant display of gun violence rattling this White Rock neighborhood. Out of frame, more shots are fired. It happened just before 12.30 a.m. Thursday at Roper Avenue and Lee Street, where White Rock RCMP found four men, all in their 20s, on the ground. They were rushed to hospital with serious injuries. A dark figure could be seen fleeing the area, but RCMP did not say if this was one of the suspects. Down the street, the shots can also be heard. White Rock RCMP say roughly 100 rounds of ammunition were fired. Evidence markers scattered across the road. In the light of day, vehicles riddled with bullet holes are towed away. Other vehicles parked on the street also with bullet holes. There's no immediate public safety threat right now. Unfortunately, at this point, we don't know who our suspects are. Without having any suspects arrested, then how can people also think that there's no imminent threat? It's a good question. Mm. I, I can't answer that. I don't believe that. Yeah. How is it not? Stray bullet can go anywhere. So how is it not a risk? Yeah, it's definitely a concern, and I'd love to see it end before somebody is seriously hurt, you know, like a bystander. Roughly 11 kilometers away at the Surrey-Langley border, char marks, where a burned-out vehicle was found. But White Rock RCMP won't say if this and the shooting are linked. That's right, Angela. I mean, a burned-out vehicle like that is a hallmark of a gangland hit in many cases. What are RCMP saying about that possibility? Well, they're saying it's too soon to say whether or not this is a gang shooting, but sources tell Global News that this is related to a gang feud, and this was payback. We asked White Rock RCMP, and they would not confirm. Chris? All right, Angela Jung in White Rock for us tonight. Thanks, Angela. Just a few hours after that automatic weapons fire rang out in White Rock, the federal government is announcing millions of dollars in funding to keep kids out of gangs. As Troy Charles reports, a number of cities are trying to tackle a wave of violence. While standing on a podium plastered with the phrase building safer communities, we played the audio of the White Rock shooting for former VPD gang unit detective and federal minister Harjeet Sajjan.
So that, that goes on for another uh, 30 seconds. So when I served in the military, I've been um, under fire and have been in those type of situations. Those type of sounds and violence should never be on our streets. The minister was at Vancouver City Hall today to announce $4.2 million of federal funding to fight gun crime and gang violence in Vancouver. The money to be used for community-led projects that help prevent youth from getting caught up in gang life. You may not see um, you know, uh, right away the impacts, but I can assure you it's saving lives and it's preventing um, from kids from getting into those type of gang situations. And that's why this program is so important. Stats Canada numbers show that in Vancouver, the rate of firearm-related violent crime in 2022 increased by 24% from 2021. However, that 2022 number is down over 32% from where it was in 2012. The message to the families out there, there's no such thing. Like if you think that you come from a a good family, um, you're sadly mistaken because it can happen to you and your family as well. As Vancouver tackles the gang issue upstream, in Coquitlam, the home of several recent targeted shootings, RCMP have formed the detachment's first ever gang enforcement team. Formed last March, the unit is focused on deterring and disrupting gang activity. This unit takes ownership of that type of crime and um, monitors the offenders. Offenders that continue to risk their own lives and the lives of the public. For especially for the younger generation, when you take this path, there is a high likelihood you will be, end up dead. Troy Charles, Global News. And Langley RCMP say they've seized guns and a large amount of stolen property after chasing suspected thieves. Police say on February 9th, they were following a stolen SUV when a man left a Walmart and jumped into the vehicle. The driver sped off, but after arriving at a home, the vehicle became stuck under a garage door. As he tried to back out, police arrived. They seized two rifles with ammunition, a radio jammer, and a large amount of stolen property. Three people were arrested. They have been released pending further investigation. WorkSafe BC has issued a stop work order on the Oak Ridge Park worksite pending an investigation into Wednesday's fatal crane accident. Construction site injuries have actually dropped off in recent years, but workers say there are still some glaring gaps in safety. Cassidy Moscone reports. The Oak Ridge Park construction site shut down. Usually some 1,700 workers would be on the tools. Now they're in mourning. A fallen load off a tower crane is to blame for claiming a life Wednesday afternoon. The damage visible on the side of the building and captured in this dash cam video. We don't know what exactly happened. That will be up to the coroner, WorkSafe BC and authorities to investigate. The tragedy now sparking questions is the construction sector's code up to scratch. The union representing operators says certification is not being enforced and drivers are going to work after completing just an online multiple choice exam. It's not until you actually go for certification that there's a practical assessment of your ability to run that tower crane and what we're seeing in the industry is not enough people are actually achieving certification. BC Crane Safety is the provincial authority for crane operator certification. You can't operate a crane in BC without going through them. The organisation declined our requests for comment on Thursday. It's often said that the regulation has been written in the blood of, blood of workers 
And um, I, I think the key is that employers and workers need to adhere to those regulations. Over the past 20 years, the construction sector has doubled in terms of the um, you know, amount of workers that are actually on site, but the injury rate has been halved. This is the third crane-related incident in British Columbia of 2024. On January 26, a crane toppled over a building in Burnaby. Four days later, a crane collapsed on a construction site in Surrey. We are going to reach out to the workers' representative and the industry through WorkSafe BC to make sure, let's put all of them in a room and look at what are the areas that may have some gaps. The Labor Minister flagging some changes are on the way following a WorkSafe BC investigation into the deadly 2021 Kelowna crane crash. Industry eagerly waiting before any more lives are lost. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. A man found guilty of fatally stabbing his wife in late 2022 has been sentenced to life in prison. On December 7th, Surrey RCMP responded to reports of a stabbing in the Starwood townhouse complex. There they found 40-year-old Harpreet Kaur Gill suffering multiple stab wounds. She later died in hospital. Soon after, the victim's husband, 40-year-old Navinder Gill, was charged with second-degree murder. He pleaded guilty to the charge in June of 2023. Now, Gill has been sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 10 years. Lots of talk about today's big spending provincial budget in an election year. It includes $6.5 billion in new spending. Government will increase the deficit to a forecast $5.9 billion this fiscal year. That climbs even further to a record $7.9 billion next year. Major new spending includes $2 billion for health care. Nearly $200 million for the already announced BC Builds program and $400 million for public safety. There's nearly $4 billion in new capital spending to build hospitals, schools, roads and other infrastructure across BC. There will also be a little more money back in your pocket. And as Keith Baldry reports, it's a fiscal blueprint designed to court votes. It's a freewheeling big spending budget. To strengthen health care to deliver more housing, to keep costs down for people, leaving more money in people's pockets. The bulk of the increase is on health care. BC's 10-year cancer care plan getting a $270 million lift over three years, including money for prevention and screening. $354 million for home and community care services for seniors over the same time frame. $250 million for mental health and addictions treatments over three years. And beginning in April 2025, the province will publicly fund in vitro fertilization for a single cycle. No one should be denied the opportunity to have a child because of how much money they make, who they love, and whether they have a partner. To help address the affordability crisis, the government providing details on its much-anticipated hydro rebate. The average BC Hydro customer will save about $100 over the course of a year through the one-time BC Electricity Affordability Credit. For small businesses, the average savings will be about $400 over the year. The province is also enhancing the BC Family Benefit Bonus. For example, a household with two parents and two kids and an income up to $162,000 could now be eligible. The province estimates 340,000 families will now get the benefit, with an average eligible family receiving $1,760, up $382. We know it's tough for families right now. 
The BC Family Benefit is one way we're helping families pay for groceries, clothes, and opportunities their kids need to have the best start possible. On housing, after promising this for years, the government is now introducing a home flipping tax. Starting in January 2025, a tax will be applied on the profit of selling a residential property if sold within two years of buying it. As well, the first-time home buyers program is expanding. Properties worth up to $835,000 are now exempt, up from a threshold of a half a million dollars. The first $500,000 of the purchase will be exempt from property transfer tax, meaning potential savings of up to $8,000. And for businesses, the employer's health tax threshold is changing. Businesses with a payroll of up to $1 million are now eligible, up from a threshold of $500,000. By increasing the exemption threshold for employer health tax from $500,000 to $1 million, over 90% of businesses will be exempt, and those with payrolls between $1 million and $1.5 million will also be partially exempt and see more savings. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, there's a lot in there, but a lot of money to pay for it. This screams an election year budget, doesn't it? Oh, certainly, Chris. We saw this one coming. We knew it was going to be a big uh, deficit. We knew there was going to be more spending. Uh, again, I think the NDP's betting and gambling that the public out there does, as a result of going through the pandemic, when budgets just basically blew up, blew up and deficits were the norm, are not as concerned with deficits as they were perhaps a decade ago. Also, not just deficits, the debt numbers are staggeringly high as well. Take a look at what the debt situation is. The total provincial debt, 63% uh, increase in three years. These are projected total, so they could change. $103.8 billion in the current year rises more than $20 million billion next year, $145.3 billion in 2025-26, $165 billion in 2026-27. So again, on the last few years, a 63% increase, but it's basically doubled uh, in size in a very short period of time. I asked uh, Katrina Conroy, the finance minister, about this. Is she alarmed about these debt numbers? She says BC's position on the debt is better than pretty well any problem in Canada. She does not think this is going to lead to a, a, a downgrade in the credit rating or anything like that, but it is certainly a big debt number, and it goes basically to building all those roads, schools, hospitals, basically infrastructure projects that are the backbone of this particular budget and budgets going forward under the NDP government. Those bills will eventually have to be paid, just not this election cycle. All right, Keith, thanks very much. Reaction to the budget is mixed. Groups traditionally allied with the NDP, like BC's big unions, say the government has made the right choices in this economic climate. But as Richard Zussman shows us, critics are calling the budget and that record deficit reckless and irresponsible. Running up the tab now, worrying about the bill later. This is the worst part. It's not just the reckless spending, the biggest deficit ever more than doubling the debt. It's the fact that we're getting the worst outcomes we've ever seen in healthcare, in public safety, in drug overdose death rates, in housing affordability. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade giving this budget C's across the board. The business sector worried about massive projects wrapping up, including the record-breaking LNG Canada project. That is the question. Where is that job growth going to come from? And where is the private sector investment going to be? We didn't see that in the budget, and so that is a big concern of ours. The BC Business Council argues with economic uncertainty ahead, now is the time for restraint. And even though public capital spending will drive parts of the economy, 
there is still a lack of private sector opportunities in the pipeline. Very few measures uh, focused at improving the investment climate, attracting investment and, and job creation. But even though more hospitals, roads and schools are coming, there was only one new school announced in the budget in the province. That would like to see a few more facilities, um, but as I said, alongside that, there has to be something in there to get the people in those facilities to serve the students as well. The province is also facing unprecedented growth pressure. With 250,000 new people in BC over the past two years, there are concerns that even with the high level of spending, it's just treading water to keep up with growth. I noted with interest that the minister talked about, you know, not wanting to have deficit services, um, but I feel like without attention to that population growth and without attending to that, we will end up in three years with just that. And Richard Zussman joins us now. Richard, yes, there is some help in there to become a home owner in the budget, but is there help for renters? There is not a lot in there for renters, Chris. And Minister Katrina Conroy was asked about exactly that today. And what she said is the province is currently reviewing a few programs for renters, including Safer, and they haven't yet made a decision on how they may change these programs to better support people to be able to afford these out-of-control rents in the province and also find places to live. We know BC Builds will help in part with that. The budget has some money there. But the other thing is, as you spoke to Keith about, they may be saving something around rents for the election, although we know last time they promised that renter's rebate, it fell far short in terms of what people were hoping for. Exactly. Okay, Richard, thanks very much. That's Richard Sussman in Victoria. Well, this coming Sunday, February 25th, will be the 58th Variety Show of Hearts Telethon. And throughout the next few days, we'll have some amazing stories about Variety's important work and how your support helps children with disabilities and complex health needs right across B.C. There are approximately 600 children waiting for Variety's help for crucial equipment, life-changing assessments, therapies, and more. So you can help by going to variety.bc.ca or just call 310-KIDS and today your gift will be matched, making twice the impact. Got a great story coming up a little bit later about Keon. Okay, vulnerable and targeted. He could steal my white can and I was very, very, very nervous at the moment. A newcomer to Canada, blind and homeless, shares his story of being robbed of his cane and thanks those who came to his aid. That's coming up in just over a minute. A violent robbery at a Yaletown nightclub. The suspect now facing 19 charges and where he is now. Plus. And it's very lightweight. Sustainable aviation. The plans for this all-electric plane that just arrived in B.C. Right now, though, new developments in the story of a blind man newly arrived from Iran who was robbed in downtown Vancouver. The thief ended up stealing his white cane before Good Samaritans came to his aid. As Catherine Urquhart reports, he still hopes to move forward with his new life in Canada. We caught up with May Sam Katamania as he walked along Seymour Street using his white cane. Blind since birth, the 40-year-old moved here from Iran just two months ago. Before I came to Canada, I was a lecturer in the university. I have a PhD degree in Persian literature. He is also a highly accomplished musician. 
Now living in a shelter, Maysem says his cane and cell phone are vital tools. I can navigate with my cane and I use uh, Google Maps on my phone. On Tuesday, near Davy and Thurlow, those tools were targeted by a thief. Initially, they tried to take Maysem's cell phone. Then they stole his cane. I was very, very, very nervous at the moment. I was shocked. I, I didn't know how can I do, but immediately I called police with my phone, 911. Several Good Samaritans jumped in, and then police arrived. They confronted the man, and they followed him. Um, our officers were able to get into the area quite quickly, and with the help of these Good Samaritans who were watching the suspect, we were able to locate the suspect nearby. 37-year-old Justin Jeremy Heron was arrested and charged with one count of robbery. The white cane was returned to Maysam. Maysam says the robbery has left him nervous, but he's determined to find a better future here, including a permanent home. I don't give up, so I'm very uh, hopeful to uh, be a success here. And I know Vancouver is a very good city in the world. People are very, very kind, very warm, and uh, very helpful. This courageous newcomer's optimism clearly inspiring. Goodbye. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. One of the suspects in a violent Yale Town nightclub robbery last year is now facing more than a dozen charges. On April 9th, two suspects entered bar none after hours and threatened staff with a gun and knife before stealing $25,000 in cash. Six victims were found with their hands zip-tied. One was seriously assaulted and suffered life-altering injuries. Now, 27-year-old Nazir Sayed has been charged with 19 counts, including unlawful confinement, robbery, and aggravated assault. Sayed has been released from custody until his next court appearance. The investigation into additional suspects is ongoing. Just ahead, the booze battle. It's just going to drive the prices down and dilute the market. B.C. versus Alberta. And who might end up losing in a dispute over liquor sales? Plus. And I think that if the taxpayers knew what's really happening in the cannabis industry, I think they'd be pretty upset. Why cannabis store owners want the government to get out of the game. While politicians continue to scrap over interprovincial liquor laws, B.C. producers are issuing a warning about potential ripple effects that will eventually impact customers. They say trade deals made to help one liquor industry sector could harm others. Cassidy Moscone reports. The wine wars have become the liquor wars in the match of Alberta versus British Columbia. Two ministers with two agendas. BC wants local growers to be able to ship their wine across the border. Well, right now, the issue has been very much the challenges that our wine industry has been facing. Alberta wants better access for its craft brewers and distillers in BC. Clearly, there's not an equitable trade relationship at play here. While politics plays out, it's the producers who pay the price. Wine growers in BC are still locked out of direct shipping to Alberta. And other local industries like craft breweries and hard liquor are watching and waiting for any impacts. Some distillers say if Alberta gets its way, it'll hurt the local market. It's hard enough to bring people out, let alone 
uh, you're fighting with your your neighbor uh, to, when they flood the market with either commercial distilleries, breweries, or wineries, right? It's just going to drive the prices down and dilute the market. The Roots and Wings owner adding, not even BC distillers are exempt from the province's tax system, which drives up the cost of a bottle. You're paying tremendous amount in tax. It's $35, but I can buy, you know, a commercial one for $10 less, right? Like, so it's, it's harder for a craft distillery. For now, it's still a war of words. We're no clearer on a resolution. Industry in BC want to be consulted. Now, I think people are trying to take the whole pie and then leave the guys on the ground making the product uh, in the dark. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Private BC pot shops say they continue to fight a losing battle against government-run cannabis stores. As Aaron MacArthur shows us, they say unless changes are made, consumer options could soon go up in smoke. Uh, Magi's Pine Tars, also good selling. Local retailers trying to support local producers, but both having a tough time managing their bottom line. Organic Craft is another local producer that's, you know, they're really trying to make a go of it and having a difficult time. For private cannabis retailers, dealing with the central government distribution branch is one of the challenges faced by the industry. Private stores also forced to compete with government outlets for customers, a system some retailers say is highly flawed. When you have control of distribution, the wholesale distribution, and you have retail stores, you have, a, you have an advantage. And, you know, throw on top of that the fact that you don't have to publish your financials. The government does not separate out retail sales or list the costs associated with running retail operations. Taxpayers have no idea if the stores are profitable. According to the B.C. government, cannabis brings in $485 million a year in revenue, but that includes both retail sales and wholesale purchases. According to the government, an increase of 15% from the year before. The government also says transactions are up in retail stores, 2.1 million last year, or 24% more. The Retail Cannabis Council says when a government store opens, it means an instant decline in private store sales. We saw a pretty much an immediate and permanent, like roughly 35 to 40% top line revenue just drop right off, and we never did recover from that. Cannabis retailers are asking for a full accounting of the government's involvement in the industry. They have endless pockets, right? If they're losing money, um, it, it doesn't really matter that much. But as a private uh, operator, uh, I can only lose money for so many months before I have to lay off all my staff and shut the doors. Five years after legalization, the cannabis industry is growing, but according to many, not thriving. And without some significant structural changes, consumers will face fewer choices. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. New hope for those struggling with infertility. Finances are a barrier to accessing this kind of treatment. The surprise path to parenthood contained in the BC budget. Plus, amazing. A young boy and the transformative impact your donations to Variety have had on his life. It got a quick mention earlier in the newscast in Keith's report, but the B.C. budget included a surprise health care announcement. People seeking in vitro fertilization treatment will soon have coverage. IVF can be very expensive, and B.C. has lagged far behind other provinces in helping would-be parents. Alyssa Thibault has the story. 
It's something BC families have been waiting for. Starting on April 1st of next year, one cycle of IVF will be free in British Columbia. The province announcing both treatment and medications for a single IVF round will be covered from next spring. Everyone, everyone who wants to have a child, darn menopause, sorry. <laughs> okay. Everyone who wants to have a child should have the opportunity to do so. Just one IVF round can cost up to $20,000, putting it out of reach for many people hoping to become parents. What we do in fertility treatments is expensive. It involves high-tech labs and advanced science. It's an expensive treatment. Knowing the government's going to provide some level of support for that is huge. Five other provinces offer tax exemptions or partial reimbursements. The budget announcement brings BC into line with Ontario and Quebec with complete coverage for a single treatment. The two provinces also have age limits. BC officials say an expert clinical group will look at age considerations and specifics of how the program will work. This BC infertility specialist says she has a number of questions. Does it cover the embryo transfers that might follow if you get multiple embryos from an IVF cycle? Um, are there going to be limits on age? Are there going to be limits on um, egg count? Are there going to be, you know, what kind of limits will they put on this sort of funding like other provinces have done? So I'm, I'm very keen to hear the details next. BC United leader Kevin Falcon has been calling for IVF coverage since 2022 and says the announcement in the budget is one piece of partially good news. The fact that they wouldn't put the dollars in the budget so that people could access it right now is just a real missed opportunity. They should have moved ahead with it right away. The province hasn't said how many people it plans to help, but it is allocating $68 million over two years. That could cover almost 3,500 treatments if the NDP is re-elected. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Leading up to the show of Hearts Telethon this weekend, we're focused on one of Variety's key impact pillars, education. With classroom resources spread so thin, children with autism can't always get the personalized help they need. That's when Variety steps in, and as you'll see, it can be transformative for a child like Kian. What I saw was just so like, traumatizing for me. My five-year-old at the time, like he was, he's been here for six months, and that was just one day I got to witness. That one day was an observation session for Keon during kindergarten at public school. And what his mother saw was a young boy who was excluded from classroom activities and who only had about five minutes of true instructional time in the entire day. They just don't have the tools. They don't know what to do, you know. Like, I do think they're doing their best. I don't think, obviously, they're there because they want to help kids. But I just think they don't have what is needed for kids like Keon. But there had to be a better solution for Keon, a better place where his unique needs could be met. Pal's Autism School turned out to be that place. Tailoring education specifically for children with autism, Pal's low student-teacher ratios is an environment designed to support children with varying levels of ability. Touch apple. Apple. Good work, Keon. That was so awesome. Yeah, a lot of our students need that extra little boost for some of that functional communication to develop, some of those social skills or academic skills. A lot of our students have sensory needs as well, so being able to provide them with the space uh, to really meet those sensory needs is really important. Keon, clap hands. Amazing. 
Kion had found his place where he could be safe, thrive at his own pace and feel included, where his neurodivergent conditions could be embraced instead of overlooked. But this type of private education is costly and without the support of variety, Kion may still be lost in the public school system. So um, the progress I've seen, you know, with Kion while he's been at Powell's, um, honestly has been a lot. He just has more tools in his own toolkit uh, to be able to have a higher quality of life and have a bit more dignity because he's learning a bit more independence. Yeah, it's crunchy, right? Crunchy. The effects that Variety has had on not only Keon's life, but you know my life, his siblings' life as a family has been immense. I am, I am a single mom of, of, of three boys, right? And they're all on the spectrum, different areas in the spectrum. There's always one challenge after another, right? It never stops. And so for me and for my kids, you know, Variety is like a lifeline. You can help Variety be a lifeline to so many families out there like Keon's who need support to find a better future. So please donate now to Variety. That's right. You can help kids just like Keon by donating to Variety, the children's charity. Just go to variety.ca, sorry, variety.bc.ca or call 310KIDS now to have your gift matched. And be sure to tune in to the Show of Hearts Telethon to learn how your donations impact BC Kids. It's this Sunday, February 25th from 1 to 5.30 p.m. right here on Global BC. Just ahead, what could be the future of flight? A training plane with the power to change a whole industry and what makes it so special later. And coming up in sports, less is more for Vernon Adams. What the Lions quarterback just did that puts the team first. After a couple of pretty dreary days, it was sure nice to see the sun pop out today. Here's Christy with the forecast. And that's why I thought I would start off with the tower cam, Chris. It was actually a little brighter, even just 15 minutes ago. Nonetheless, a nice scene out there. We're two weeks away, by the way, from time change, roughly, um, and roughly four weeks away from spring. So we're going to continue with um, brighter conditions in the days to come. Tomorrow morning, we're expecting significant amount of fog to develop. So uh, especially in near areas and near the water, and it could be ice fog because it's so clear right now, temperatures will drop tonight. So watch for icy conditions. Mostly our day through Friday is going to be dry but by the evening hours this moisture will shift in and we do have a chance of showers but generally speaking bright in the morning with a little bit of cloud cover by the afternoon we're still watching this track for cooler conditions monday tuesday brief warm-up maybe but there is a chance that that may last a little bit longer we're still keeping our fingers crossed that that continues to be the case we so desperately need some snow in the mountains although i know a lot of you are looking forward to spring that's for sure dry conditions in a really pleasant friday for most areas we are expecting mild conditions conditions. Look at that, 12 degrees for Port Alberni, for example. So we will see sunshine through the early part of the day other than patchy fog and increasing cloud in the afternoon. That takes us into Saturday, mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers. Still wet on Sunday, cooler conditions into the early part of next week. Heads up over the weekend to be watching for the potential for snow Monday, Tuesday. What snow at this point? All right, this was actually from today as Alan was heading to Tofino. That is a stunning shot. Certainly feeling like spring or summer in that shot, Chris, back to you. No doubt with that beautiful rainbow. Okay, Squire's here with an update from the Lions camp.
Well, one of the reasons Vernon Adams signed a new contract with the BC Lions is he believes this team is championship ready. The last two years, it's been Western Final 12 and 6, 12 and 6. My message to everyone I've talked, uh, spoken to is Grey Cup or bust. And the Grey Cup is at BC Place this year, and Adams is coming off his best season in the CFL. Be great to get a home win. Also ahead. This aircraft is uh, the only certified electric airplane in the world. BC's first electric flight training airplane arrives in BC when it could be airborne. Coming up. Squires back with sports. Very close to puck drop tonight. And very close to here, too. Mm-hmm. Vancouver is in Seattle tonight. The Canucks are desperate, of course, to end a three-game losing streak. But the Kraken are probably more desperate to stay in the Western Conference playoff race. They cannot afford to go on any losing streaks from here on out. Now, Vancouver will likely start Thatcher Demko, and they'll likely have Arshdeep Baines on the second line with J.T. Miller and Brock Besser because he's been moved up after getting good reviews from his debut. I looked the first two, three shifts, and I'm like, hey, this guy's not wide-eyed. You know, this guy, I think he, he's going to seize the moment. But now the next game, it's, it's, it's always the second, third, and fourth game for guys like this. And not, not him, just for guys that get called up, is the consistency, because it's hard to do. Um, and I don't want to give him too much. Like, we gave him a couple little things, but we don't want to give him too much system stuff. I, I can't stand when coaches give players so much stuff, and the poor guy gets out there, and, you know, he doesn't know whether, you know, the wind is watch, you know. So I think it's important that we, we just give him a little bit at a time. Nathan Rourke cast a long shadow over the BC Lions quarterbacking position last season, all the way from the NFL. But his former backup, Vernon Adams, came out of that shadow and took over the BC Lions offense and impressed the Lions enough to give him a contract extension. Vernon Adams is coming off his best year ever as a CFL quarterback setting career highs in passing yards and touchdown passes. He was rewarded with a two-year contract extension, but at a discount. Word is Adams will be paid in the 500000 per season range once his extension kicks in, which is not among the top salaries among starting quarterbacks. I knew I had to take less. I couldn't be in the top three, um, you know, area, which I feel like I am as a player, you know, but I think the team is more important. And um, that's why I took less this year and just wanted to, uh, again, just better this team however I could. How consistent he was coming to work every week and not a lot of ups and downs with, you know, we'd win or whether we'd lose. He, what, his, his approach was very consistent and, co and the same. And I think that's a key to being a leader um, for the rest of the football team is to, to show that he was going to show up every day and be consistent. Adams is making the trip to Vancouver from his home in Seattle about once a month during the offseason for week-long workouts, trying to find that extra edge that will get the Lions over the hump this year. Their last two seasons have ended with heartbreaking losses in the West Final in Winnipeg. This year, the Grey Cup game will be played at BC Place, and the motivation to get there has never been more intense. My message to everyone I've spoken to is Grey Cup or bust. You know, um... Everyone needs to be dialed in day one. I'm saying this at training camp, um, 18 games locked in, sacrifice whatever you need to sacrifice, but we're tired of getting stopped right there. Adams did have great numbers in 2023, but one number he didn't like, 18. 
That's how many interceptions he had, the most in the CFL. Just watch my film, my film this offseason. I'm like, man, why not just throw it away, you know, instead of taking that or, or just little things like that, you know. And I think each year I'm getting better. You have to be smarter. You know, you got to take care of that ball. Give, give your defense a chance, you know what I'm saying? Don't put so much pressure on them, having them on the field so much. For Phil Berna, this weekend will be his 50th appearance in a World Series Rugby Sevens tournament for Canada. So this is a guy who knows about the past, the present, and the future of Canadian rugby. And one of the keys to making Canada better is having a good foundation of young players. And Rugby Sevens weekend at BC Place helps that. Uh, I think that's just one of the great things about this tournament is, is it gets exposure to so many kids. We have rookie rugby every morning, and, and that's what you really need is a grassroots program. You need the under-16s, under under-18s, under under-20 programs that are successful to really push everyone forward. Uh, it's definitely not a one-year, two-year solution. This is a 10-year strategy that you kind of have to get in place, but events like this, exposure to rugby, exposure to kids is, is awesome. There you go. All right, thank you. Up next, the buzz about a cool new plane that just touched down in B.C. Stick around. Jordan Armstrong is in the newsroom now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, Lynx Air is going out of business. The low-cost carrier says it is ceasing operations after filing for creditor protection. The airline says it will continue to fly until the end of Sunday, and there are two flights scheduled to depart YVR tonight. We'll hear from passengers, plus if you had a booking with Lynx, how to get your money back at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. We'll continue with some better aviation news now. The future of flight has just arrived in B.C. A Campbell River Flight School received delivery of its newest airplane, which looks similar to its other training aircraft, but with one major difference. Kylie Stanton reports. From the outside looking in, it's like any other airplane with controls, a propeller. And it's very lightweight. But there's one thing that sets it apart. This aircraft is uh, the only certified electric airplane in the world. No gas tank. That's the charging port there. No problem. Electric airplanes are coming. And Sealand Flight will be leading the way. The all-electric Velis Electro aircraft arrived in Campbell River this past weekend, where it was unboxed and assembled within an hour. But now the real work begins. It's Daunting. When Transport Canada put out a call to flying schools to evaluate the zero emissions aircraft for flight training purposes, Sealand Flight answered. I'm there going, take me, take me, and, and they did. The goal, to lay the groundwork of sustainable aviation in Canada. It's basically to design a syllabus to train pilots to work on sustainable aviation aircraft. The aircraft that weighs roughly 600 kilograms has a range of 50 minutes with a 10-minute reserve. The battery, much like a tank of gas, needs to be replenished. We're in the process of putting uh, charging stations in um, Powell River, Courtney and Qualicum. Sealand Flight is the first in BC, the second in Canada, to take part in the program. But electric or hybrid electric aircraft seems to be on everyone's radar. Helijet is looking at the eVTOL, Harbor Air is working on the eBeaver, while Air Canada has hybrid electric aircraft on order. It's not just us alone, it's a huge group of people who are working on this project. 
Getting it off the ground will require the finalization of a Canadian importation process and the issuance of a flight authority, legally clearing the aircraft to fly. What could all happen as early as mid-March? We're looking forward to it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. You might have noticed Pipistrelle on the tail there. That's bat in Latin. It's like, it's like a bat mm. plane. Oh, right. All right. fights crime as well as gets people from leeway. place to place. What was that, Christy? <laughs> well, I noticed the 10 minutes leeway, the 10 minutes of buffer. Doesn't seem like a lot of buffer. No, I was a little nervous about that. That's 20%. I, I'm with 20%. you on that one. I have faith. <laughs> I have faith. Yeah. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks to everybody who came out to the Pink Shirt Day luncheon today. Pink Shirt Day is next Wednesday, and we'll talk more about that. But have a great night, everybody. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.